When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast, bringing you the latest updates from the world of sports, gambling, and pop culture. Because you can't have a show without hot takes or a Tiger King meme these days. Know what I'm saying? Now, with over 200 episodes and ready to get after it again, here's your host, Dwayne Callender. Hello and welcome uh, to another edition of the Fancy Throwdown Podcast. Gonna have to talk quite a bit uh, today uh, with updates and just catching up uh, with various uh, sports. But uh, let's uh, get right down to it. I mean, I've gotten a lot of feedback from you guys. I've been dealing with a lot of stuff, uh, but got a lot of feedback from folks complaining. And I'm a little sick and tired of it. So, let's just get it right out of the way. Uh, Knicks fans annoyed at me. Uh, Hockey fans, particularly Canadian hockey teams, annoyed at me. Me trashing all the Canadian teams this year. And Yankees fans asking me what's wrong with the Yankees, even though I literally spelled out everything wrong with the Yankees weeks ago. Then they went on a a slight win streak, and people just ignored everything that I said. And now that the Yankees are floundering again, they're wondering what happened, uh, you know. So let's just start addressing a couple of these items. First off, Yankees. Nothing has changed. The Yankees will be exactly what they are. If Garrett Cole pitches well, which is a big if, because not for nothing, this whole sticky substance issue going on in Major League Baseball is a big deal. Because if these pitchers have been able to get that significant of an advantage where they've been using uh, this sticky pine tar-like substance and being able to kind of stick it in their hat and, you know, uh, not really being checked on now that uh, it's not being called out by other teams that the umpires are proactively looking for these sticky substances and these guys are, you know, winging it. If Garrett Cole can't figure it out and he goes back to closer to the pitcher he was earlier in his career when he started out in Pittsburgh rather than the huge leap he made once he got to the Astros. And again, shocker, the Astros leading the way in cheating uh, their way to a World Series beyond just using buzzers and everything else that went on. Oh, they did other uh, shady stuff. Shocker. I could not have seen that coming from that organization whatsoever. I I mean, obviously you guys can't see me rolling my eyes at this, but, you know, the fact that people were calling out the Astros pitching staff for cheating before, and now it's coming more to the forefront, why is anyone surprised? But, be that as it may, Garrett Cole has the talent to actually be an ace, without having to uh, use uh, the substances. Now, what the substances does is 
it's supposed to be able to give you better grip and actually increase your uh, spin rate. Now, what does the spin rate actually uh, truly do for you? Basically, the spin rate increase allows you to get a better break on the ball and it allows you to throw harder without having to throw out your arm. Now, what's been happening uh, is that, you know, and what some people have argued is that uh, the sticky substances have helped guys avoid injuries by not overthrowing because they can throw harder without necessarily uh, putting their arm in a predicament. You know, I don't necessarily buy it. I think, you know, a lot of what's happened in baseball is guys are just throwing way harder than they probably should and they're blowing out their arms uh, with uh, some of the pitching selection. And, you know, realistically, teams and players have to be uh, more mindful of that. You know, teams burn out pitchers like crazy these days. Hitting is way down because you got all these pitchers throwing at max velocity all the time. There's no off-speed pitching whatsoever in the league anymore. But strikeouts are way up because all these guys are now just not even trying to go up there to uh, put the ball in play. They're literally trying to improve their launch angle because maybe if they can catch one, they'll hit it out. And that's all teams are looking at. But I've already talked about this, so I'm rehashing a lot of this. But, you know, none of the issues with the Yankees have changed. This is exactly what they are. This is what they were built to do. This is a conceptual problem than an actual execution problem. I never believed in the way Brian Cashman built out this Yankees roster. With the amount of money and resources the Yankees have, they don't need to go down the same route as a team with a third of their payroll do. Like, all these teams have been able to uh, put together rosters that are more well-balanced than the Yankees. The Blue Jays, uh, you know, the Blue Jays could barely attract anyone to come play for them. They had to drastically overpay uh, just to uh, uh, bring in uh, uh, free agents again this year. I mean, they drastically overpaid for George Springer just because they wanted a big-name bat, and realistically, Springer's been hurt. But the Blue Jays have been hitting anyway because they've got so much young talent. And again, the young talent, skill-wise, they're still more contact hitters. They haven't actually uh, built in some of the bad habits that a lot of these hitters these days have been uh, executing on. But yeah, teams are still striking out way too much. But again, if you're the Yankees, you actually have the ability to bring in the Michael Brantleys of the world, actually get better hitters... That can actually put the ball in play. But the Yankees are obsessed with, A, they're they're also obsessed with spin rate. Uh, They don't throw nearly enough sliders. It literally, Garrett Cole had to tell the Yankees uh, pitching staff uh, and and, and pitching coaches that I want to throw more change-ups, you know, because Garrett Cole is being paid $35 million dollars. Uh, Sonny Gray tried to do that and got basically run off the team in a sense. But, you know, again, this is all from a conceptual standpoint of what the Yankees want. So anyone complaining about the Yankees and thinking that just firing Aaron Boone's going to do anything, uh, you're sadly mistaken. At the end of the day, this is 
an entire teardown of the front office that is necessary, starting with Brian Cashman, and then you're going to have to fire a bunch of other front office people because they literally are executing a game plan that 28 other NMLB... Like, there are too many teams that have gone down this exact same path. And the thing of the matter is is that the Yankees, with the amount of money they have, they don't have to execute the exact same game plan as other teams. The Dodgers are better at this execution strategy than, uh, uh, than the Yankees are. And, you know, while they are also spending a ton of money, technically, the Dodgers are still far, far better aligned for the next, uh, four years than the Yankees are. The Yankees still haven't figured out the, the Aaron Judge situation yet. And, yes, they're still going to be paying for uh, uh, <laughs> Stanton because, guess what? There's nothing left to say about the Stanton situation. If he hits, fine. Maybe you might recoup some value. But as long as he's going to continue to regress and just be this streaky hitter, the Yankees literally did the Marlins the biggest favor in making that trade. You know, I said it before. People kept questioning me why I thought Jeter should have won executive of the year for getting rid of Stanton uh, with that contract. And it's coming to fruition. So, again, nothing new here. So, that's still baseball. You've got a bunch of teams that aren't really doing much. You got teams like uh, the Yankees struggling. You got the Cardinals struggling, even though they traded from Nolan Arenado. But guess what? Same issues. Too much uh, trying to slug your way out of it and not enough contact. The Cardinals are n- not in a offense-driven ballpark either. They actually, you know, uh, it's not the same. And I've talked about this as well with the humidor effect. You know, some of these teams have to be able to put the ball in play because you're not going to be able to smoke the ball because of uh, some of the conditions that have been in play with uh, these ballparks using humidors. you got to be able to put the ball in play. And yet the, the roster construction of these teams make it nearly impossible because all these guys have developed the wrong habits at the plate. Anyway, let's get into the actual playoffs that I've been watching. Not that I've had that much of a good time. Uh, in the NBA, you know, it's incredibly frustrating watching the NBA. Uh, you know, I try to watch the NBA playoffs. A lot of times it's just me watching and then getting increasingly frustrated. Because the NBA playoffs... I think are pretty much a dud deal that the West is going to win it. And I'll tell you point blank. I think it's either going to be Houston, uh, it's either going to be Utah or uh, Phoenix. I-, I wanted to say Houston there uh, when I wanted to say Phoenix, but um, at the end of the day, they're basically the only two teams capable of playing any modicum of defense and being able to exert uh, the pace that they want. In the case of Phoenix, they play at a slower pace than everyone else. Chris Paul, as long as he can stay healthy, 
which is a big if. But when they can play their pace, they can just slow the game down and force teams to play half-court. These teams don't know how to play half-court basketball. The Lakers were banged up, yes. But at the end of the day, the Lakers still had opportunities to get back into that series because Chris Paul was hurt and they couldn't do it. What you're seeing against Utah is as great as Jokic is, I'm saying Utah, I mean Denver, as great as Jokic is, that Denver Nuggets team cannot play half-court basketball. Yes, Jamal Murray is hurt, but even with that, they do not execute half-court basketball. Even in the bubble, they struggled mightily. You, uh, I mean, Denver should have been bounced last year by the Clippers. The, the Clippers had so many double-digit leads that, you know, they screwed up. And, and again, this is why I don't even treat the Clippers in the conversation of being contenders. Because the fact that the Clippers got dragged to a Game 7 by Luka Doncic and his N1 basketball team, formerly known as the Dallas Mavericks, is insane. Because Luka Doncic went through an entire seven-game series getting minimal support help and still managed to put that into a seven-game series against Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. It's insane. Looking at the amount of depth that the Clippers have. But the issue with the Clippers, and the reason why I can't take them seriously, it's the same reason why they're losing against Utah. They don't know how to play half-court basketball consistently. Paul George is way too inconsistent as an offensive player. And Kawhi Leonard, you know, as great as he is, only wants to do it for certain periods of time. He really does not like playing defense anymore. He really doesn't like playing defense. You know, he only does that once or twice a series. And against Utah, Kawhi needs to do that every game in order for the Clippers to win. And Kawhi just doesn't seem like he has the willpower to do it. He does not want to lock down Donovan Mitchell and put up 30 points a game. And Paul George doesn't seem to be even capable of putting up 25 points a game, let alone 30. I don't see a pathway for the Clippers to get in uh, into the conversation of being a contender. I think Utah takes them out. And it's not even like I like Rudy Gobert that much. I, I think Rudy Gobert, even though he's won multiple, because uh, uh, he got announced as Defensive Player of the Year again, I still think there are holes in Rudy Gobert's uh, game defensively. But... The NBA is so bad at half-court defense and half-court offense, by the uh, matter. But it's just so bad that, you know, you actually have to overvalue the, the, the few teams that are capable of even doing a modicum of work. And so while I am picking on the Western Conference, that doesn't even begin to cover my frustration with the Eastern Conference. Because I told Knicks fans this throughout the year, that the team wasn't any good and that they took advantage of a terrible conference where no one was actually putting in any effort. So, you know, by as a result, the Knicks basically 
got an undeserved uh, four seed, and they really should have had the best matchup possible against Atlanta because Atlanta still can't guard anyone. But the Knicks were so talent-deprived, and it's also a sign that R.J. Barrett is a bust, that no one on the Knicks could take advantage of any of the matchups on the wing to punish Atlanta. Now, Philly was asleep for game one against Atlanta, and now seems to have figured out that, yeah, the, the, the lanes are open because you can spread out Atlanta. Capella is not going to be able to do anything because he's going to concentrate on Embiid. And you can just slash to the basket at will if you want or kick it back out for three. Atlanta is very is, is, uh, straightforward to break down, in my opinion. So to me, Philly should be able to handle that series. But watching Philly play... The Ben Simmons issue is just not going away. Ben Simmons can, again, has not even bothered to learn a jump shot. So to me, Philly will always be handicapped by Ben Simmons' inability to be able to take an outside shot beyond eight feet. Now, I know everyone's going to be saying, but what about the Nets? I don't care about the Nets. I've said this repeatedly. Even if Harden was healthy, which he's not because he was out of shape the entire year, and everyone kept ignoring the fact that Harden was out of shape. But everyone keeps saying that the Nets, uh, you know, their offense, you can't stop them. You, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult. No one in the Eastern Conference was playing any defense. Period. The, if the Nets go up against wing defenders, the Nets are going to struggle. And the, f- the fact of the matter is, no one in the Eastern Conference was playing any defense. Like, I... I it is very frustrating watching Easter Conference basketball because there is just a lot of chucking, no strategy involved. This is how the Knicks got a four seat. Like the strat, the, the execution strategy of so many teams were so bad that Tom Thibodeau, one coach of the year, which he shouldn't have because it should have gone to Monty Williams. It's absurd that the Suns uh, head coach Monty Williams did not win coach of the year, but the Knicks won it on the back of being one of the best fourth quarter teams because of how brain dead the rest of the Eastern Conference is. But, you know, at the end of the day, the Nets are, you know, going to get to the Eastern, Eastern Conference Finals because, I swear to God, watching the Milwaukee Bucks play basketball is one of the most frustrating things imaginable. You have a superstar in Giannis who won't learn basic post moves, is reliant on a jump shot that he doesn't have, and a coach in Mike Budenholzer who insists on resting starters for over 12 minutes a game. Why are your starters who are all under 30 years old playing less than 40 minutes a game? It's insane. None of this makes any sense as to how Milwaukee is managed. And yet, they got bailed out from... uh, like going down uh, 0-3 on the basis of Chris Milton had finally a decent offensive game uh, with Giannis. The Nets didn't take the game seriously because they don't play defense. Like, shocker. Uh, and uh, Bruce Brown, God knows why, thought it was a better option for him to chuck up a three as opposed to letting Kyrie or Kevin Durant, which is the whole primary point of the team, Take the the final clutch shot in the last moments of the game. Like, Milwaukee is so lucky not to have gotten swept in this series. And again, 
I swear, if Mike Budenholzer had gotten fired after game two, like he should have, because he made zero adjustments in that entire series, Milwaukee would be favored in this series. It is such malfeasance from a coaching standpoint of what's being done. It is very frustrating watching the Eastern Conference because Milwaukee is so badly coached. And I said this months ago. And, you know, everyone just kept saying, oh, you know, Drew Holiday is going to make it. No, it, it doesn't make a difference. If Giannis doesn't have a post game, it's still easy to figure out the Bucks. The Nets don't even play defense. And they're just lining up in the middle just to force uh, Milwaukee to do something. And they don't have any answers. This is the worst. Like, this is some of the worst basketball I've seen in the Easter Conference since the Nets were actually relevant in the early 90s. I mean, the, the early 2000s with Jason Kidd. Like, this is bad basketball. It's bad basketball. I will say it again. It is bad basketball. This is not good basketball that we're watching here. We're not watching the best of the best. We're we're watching talented people not being directed properly. Because a Mike D'Antoni-based team should not be considered a favorite to win the title ever. Ever. You know, this is just bad uh, management at the high, of the highest order, because the Bucks realistically should be taking care of the series, especially without Harden playing. But they're they're going to lose this series to the Nets because Milwaukee is just doing nothing with it. They got nothing going for them right now. Ugh, I digress. But man, it is just I just had to get that off my chest because I keep getting messages about the NBA, and frankly, I just keep telling people the Eastern Conference is a joke. The West is winning it this year. If the West doesn't win it this year, I'm just throwing my hands up in the air as to what the hell happened. Because realistically, there is nothing in the Eastern Conference that gives me any sense of confidence that they can actually win two games against the West this year. I really don't see anything happening. All right, I've spent enough time banging on the NBA. Let's get into hockey. And, you know, hockey has progressed... Along similar lines of what I kind of thought this season was going to boil down to. Could Colorado get over the hump and play against a physical style team like Vegas in order to get to the Stanley Cup final? That's basically what it came down to. The North is irrelevant. This like Whoever won the, the Colorado-Vegas matchup was going to the Stanley Cup final. And, you know, Vegas going seven games against Minnesota was a surprise. But, you know, I figured Vegas against Colorado was a pick a matchup because I still had questions about Colorado's goaltending and their ability to play physical style. Not as much as uh, some other teams, like I said, <clears throat> the, <clears throat> uh, the North, um, you know, but Colorado still had their issues similar to Toronto and Edmonton about playing physical teams. And, you know, Colorado played okay. They didn't play great, but everyone keeps expecting these teams to put up five goals a game. It doesn't work that way in the playoffs. You're going to have to be able to scrap, scrap out of three to two game every once in a while. And Colorado still hasn't figured that out yet. They don't have enough checking lines. 
And technically, they probably should have had a checking line, except, you know, and I, I made this joke before, that going for a Nazem Kadri-type center was a good idea. The problem is, they actually grabbed the actual uh, Nazem Kadri, who is a complete and utter head case slash idiot. Because Kadri always loses himself in the playoffs and does something really stupid to get himself suspended. You know, getting himself suspended in a nothing series against St. Louis when they had the series well in hand, you know, he got that seven-game suspension, actually eight-game suspension, I, I should say, because he was only going to be available if, uh, if Colorado had gotten that to a game seven against uh, uh, Vegas. And, of course, he screwed them before they even knew they were screwed. Because without Kadri in the mix, Colorado could not match Vegas's physicality. And, you know, that's the issue. You know, these teams have to understand you need more balance in your teams. There, there has to be more balance. Now, you could make the case that Tampa Bay doesn't have as much physicality as some of these other teams without a true checking line. That's true. Tampa Bay doesn't have a true checking line. But they have enough size where they got guys who can actually hit people and still skate. You know, people look at uh, uh, Tampa Bay as just a strictly finesse team, and that's not the case. Now, you can bitch and moan that, uh, you know, that Tampa Bay is well over the salary cap. And it's true. Tampa Bay is $18 million over the salary cap, far away the most expensive team in the NHL, and they were able to get around it because Nikita Kucherov was out for the entire regular season due to hip surgery, and by a loophole in the rules, salaries do not count in the postseason. So once it turned into the postseason, Kucherov was allowed to be activated at no salary cap expense to the team, and so, you know, you got an all-star player an MVP candidate, and Nikita Kucherov coming on the books, and now, lo and behold, Tampa is way, way over the cap, but it doesn't matter because it's the playoffs. Is it is it cheating? I don't know. Everyone knew the rules going in. You knew that Tampa, Tampa Bay was going to be there. Did you build your team around to actually counter Tampa Bay what they'd like to do? I, there's not a whole lot you can do. The best you can do is do what Carolina did and have a well-balanced defensive core and checking lines and hope that you can score enough goals. Problem is, Carolina couldn't get it done. But I I look at it and basically you got to hope that the Islanders can figure out something because the Islanders, they only got one pathway of victory. They know exactly what they got to do. And guess what? They stick to it as well as anybody else in the league with Barry Trotz. They're going to clog up the lane, they're going to punch you in the mouth, and they're going to keep checking you and keep checking you and hope that you wear down and maybe they can get a couple of dirty goals. That's it. That's the only thing the Islanders can do. They are going to play hockey that people don't like to see. Uh, Well, I shouldn't say people don't like to see. I'm perfectly fine with the style of hockey the Islanders play, but, you know, there are a lot of people who love analytics bitching and moaning about being stuck having to watch Islanders hockey. And I I got news for you. That is how hockey is actually played for the better part of four decades. 
it's the it's the heart of the matter. And that's how playoff hockey has traditionally been played. So to me, seeing the Islanders in the Eastern Conference Finals is not a shock. I I just thought that Boston would have been able to uh, piece it together and get enough goals. The problem is, is that Boston just didn't seem to be able to get any bounces going their way. And Boston actually let the physicality get in their heads to the point that, you know what? They were starting to uh, uh, whine to the referees. And once that started happening, you kind of knew that series was uh, uh, tilted in the favor of the Islanders because it, it became more of a psychological battle than anything else. But here's the thing. When you when we look at these series, and, you know, the Islanders, uh, you know, are heavy underdogs against Tampa Bay, but, uh, you know, they're about, uh, uh, Tampa's about a minus 250 favorite uh, to uh, win against uh, the Islanders. Uh, most people are predicting a four, uh, uh, a five-game series, uh, six games maybe. And that's reasonable. But on the other side, the heavier underdog is Montreal versus Vegas. And here's the reason why. Everyone has caught on to what I have been saying the entire year. The North sucked. It sucked. It sucked the entire year. It's been overrated this entire time. They didn't play anyone. They all beat up on each other. The North sucks. Uh, I'm sorry. It, it, It just sucks. They don't play any type of physical hockey. Montreal got by through because, A, we we, we know this, Toronto gave away that series, weren't mentally tough. You got Winnipeg, who wasn't any good, but, you know, they got Hellebuck, who's their best player as a goalie, and their second best player, Mark Scheifele, you know, got the book thrown at him for uh, with a, f- a four-game suspension on a hit that realistically, in real time, is not actually that bad of a hit. I know people don't like the hit, but that was a physical-style hit, which would have been fine in old-school hockey. But now, with everyone looking at it and everything in instant replay, I swear to God, Washington and Boston have been getting away with those hits for years. Like, Winnipeg, you know, again, because they're playing Montreal, they were never going to get the benefit of doubt. But it it is uh, very much uh, a difference of who the the team that's being played and who they're up against. And that's what happened in Winnipeg. But Winnipeg wasn't a very good team either. Like, just being blunt, the North sucked. So, when I say this, Montreal will be lucky to win a game in this series. I'll give you the props on this series. A 4-0 sweep by Vegas is only plus 400. Sweeps in hockey are very rare. Realistically, normally a sweep in hockey would be about a plus 1,000 minimum. Plus 400? No one's really going to bat an eyelash. In fact... The Vegas uh, four games to one series victory is only plus 240. It's not that out of the realm possibility because Montreal is that bad of a team. Montreal does nothing well. They kind of grind, but they don't grind nearly as well as most of the teams that have already been eliminated in the postseason. Montreal would have gotten beat by about, I'd say, 
a good 10 of the playoff teams in less than six games. It's just not even close. I still think that teams that didn't make the postseason, like the Rangers, probably win the North themselves. Based off of play style and the quality of the teams there, I just think the North was that bad. I, you know, Habs fans can yell at me all they want about how much I bash their team uh, during this postseason, but I don't care. The Habs are not a good team. If somehow Vegas looks past them and the Habs somehow stretch this to six games, it'll be a minor miracle. But the Habs are the the the, the fairy tale ride is over. Like this is gonna be Vegas in the finals against you know. Again, it'll be it'll be a it's a bigger upset for Montreal to win against Vegas than it would be for the Islanders to beat Tampa. That's how bad the North is. It it, it, it as good as t- Tampa Bay is, it's a bigger upset if Montreal actually beats Vegas, and that's what Vegas is telling you. That's how bad the North was this year. So I don't want to hear it from hockey fans in Canada complaining about how much I've trashed the North this year because it is well-deserved and now you you get your comeuppance by having to play outside uh, your crappy division this year because it's going to be a very quick series in my opinion. And, and it, it, it should not be that close either within the individual games. May, maybe game one might be the closest game of them all. We'll see. Or the elimination game, which will likely be a sweep. But that's about it. So I'm looking forward to the Stanley Cup final because, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing Vegas being back in the finals. I like their overall team roster dynamic. And if we can get the Tampa Bay matchup, great. You know, I don't like the Islanders, uh, you know, personally because, you know, I'm a Rangers fan. But realistically, the Islanders play style hockey. That's old school. I can always respect Barry Trotz in the system. I can always respect how they play the game. But, you know, straight up, the North is not, like, like wholly undeserved that the North is even in uh, in the conference uh, semifinal. I, it's, like, very annoying the, the way that, uh, the NHL set up this playoff system. The North should have been, re- all, all this nonsense should have been reseeded to begin with. Like, it is so aggravating watching the North uh, still be in the playoffs at this stage. Because, to me, Colorado got the uh, uh, short end of the stick. They should have been playing the North already instead of having to play Vegas this early. That, that's the bottom line. So, uh, that's going to be it for the show. But, uh, uh, like I said, if you want to make some money, just bet on Vegas. Either a 4-0 sweep at, a sweep at plus 400 or a 4-1 series win at plus 240. Either way, you're, you're going to make out. You know, this is not going six games. Period. Uh, like, you know, I, I just... The, the NHL would have to pull some... Like, and it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world because the NHL has done this nonsense before, but the NHL would need to pull out so many breaks between the refs in order to get the halves to six games. I mean, man, that team sucks. I can't even be nice about it. It's like the North was not good this year, period. All right, that's going to do it for the show. Uh, we got uh, Euros coming up as well, so I'm going to be up at it uh, bright and early uh, 
uh, trying to uh, break that down uh, in the group stage. So uh, that's going to be all for now. Uh, but uh, have a good night, folks, and until next time. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all other major outlets. Yeah.